After COVID forced the World Surf League's 2020 season hiatus, the organization reconvened in Hawaii in December of 2020 to launch the 2021 season with opening events at Pipeline for the men and Honolulu Bay for the women. Both of these events were the final stop on previous year's tours, but this Hawaii start reflected a 2019 announcement of a rejiggering of the tour schedule, one that included G-Land mid-season and a finals day surf-off for the world title where the top five ranked surfers from the year would earn their spot to surf against one another in a single day event to decide the world champ. By the time the tour kicked off in early December of 2020 in Hawaii, G-Land had mysteriously disappeared from the tour schedule and the rest of the events were presumed to be tentative due to the unpredictable nature of the pandemic. After completing two days of women's competition at Honolulu Bay, tragedy struck in a free surf when a local surfer was attacked and killed by a shark. The event went on indefinite hold and was eventually moved to and completed at Pipeline, where Tyler Wright took the win in her return to competition after a two-year injury-slash-illness hiatus. The men's event completed with John John Florence securing his inaugural Pipe Masters victory, but perhaps what will be remembered most of this event is that the WSL's CEO, Eric Logan, and a few other staffers tested positive for COVID-19 and the event was suspended for five days. The event did resume and was completed, but shortly thereafter it was announced that other upcoming surf events would be canceled. This included the recently added championship tour event at Sunset Beach, the Vulcan Pipe Pro, and the Dahui Backdoor Shootout. The next championship tour event in Santa Cruz was, quote, postponed, but has since been canceled as well. How or if the Australian leg of the tour would proceed remained in question as COVID protocols remained in flux. In one fell press release in February, it was announced that the SVP of Tours and head of competition, Pat O'Connell, would be leaving his role at the WSL to, quote, pursue other opportunities, end quote, and that the WSL's general manager of Australia and Oceana, Andrew Stark, had secured four events in Australia that were set to kick off on April 1st. Among the three Australian states that were on the original schedule, Queensland and Victoria were adhering to very strict COVID protocols, which meant that the scheduled events were unlikely to run. West Oz is isolated enough to where they felt confident about running at Margaret River, so Stark secured a second option in New South Wales and then tried for a third at Lennox, but he got thwarted by the local city council at the behest of the local surf community. So without a third event, it would be hard for the WSL to justify sending the entire tour to Australia. But in the dying moments of this closing timeline, Andrew Stark over-delivered, and in the span of just a few days, he secured two additional event locations for a grand total of four championship tour stops, not three in Australia. In the mix, Bells Beach and Snapper were both canceled, so the final locations set to run are Newcastle and Narrabeen in New South Wales, and then Margaret River and Rottnest Island in Western Australia. Immediately thereafter, the WSL chartered a Qantas flight, a Boeing 747, for March 6th to fly 34 athletes, 46 family members, and 21 WSL staffers from Los Angeles 
to Sydney. This meant that all tour surfers, aside from the Australians that were already in country, would have to fly from around the world to Los Angeles to catch this flight. Two world title contenders did not make it. Caroline Marks tested positive for COVID-19 prior to boarding that flight, so she was not permitted to board. Two days later, after three consecutive negative tests, it was actually determined that that initial test was a false positive. So she has since been approved for travel. That all developed in the last 24 hours from when I'm recording this. Kelly Slater opted not to travel to Australia, citing a foot injury that he sustained at J-Bay in 2017. Whether or not he will attempt to surf through the rest of the season is undetermined. For the tour surfers who did make that charter flight, upon landing in Sydney, they immediately entered a 14-day quarantine, everyone in the same hotel, and that is where I found today's guest and the next few guests that I'll be rolling out in this mini-series. I figured that lockdown was a great opportunity to catch up with these athletes, to hear their thoughts on this uncertainty and how that alters their headspace and their preparation for the season. I've reached out, by the way, to a dozen athletes or so for this series and uh, haven't heard back from all of them, but I'll conduct as many interviews as possible based on their replies to my requests and then just release them as quickly as they come in, kind of a 24-hour turnaround. So more frequently than our usual once weekly schedule. And of course, everything that we discuss is available on surfsplendorpodcast.com along with video versions of these interviews. And those will also be available on YouTube. Just search Surf Splendor. And of course, on Instagram at Surf Splendor, where you can kind of easily chime in on these conversations. One note about this chat with Lakey Peterson is that we recorded this yesterday at 3 p.m. California time, and the news of Caroline Marks being approved for travel didn't break until two hours later. So Lakey and I were under the presumption that Caroline would not be competing at the Newcastle event. So without further ado, my name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with world-ranked number five surfer and perennial world title contender, Lakey Peterson. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Just, uh, just in our hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's such poor form for the host to join after the guest. I think you logged on before I did. Oh my god! Well, it's not like I have much going on. Mm. So, in your <laughs> this is probably the most exciting part of my day. Excellent. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I had to. I had to rush home from the dog park. So my dog's upset oh. that this. <laughs> That this is poor guy. I know. I I want to start with one of the feel good stories of the year to kick off the year. How does it feel to be part owner in the world's biggest surfboard manufacturer? (laughs) Feels pretty amazing. Um, I was so stoked. Like when the boys told me they were going to buy it back from Burton, um, that alone I was just super happy about. I thought it was just cool to get it back into kind of. The surfers hands and and burton was amazing too channel islands don't get me wrong they were awesome owners and um but i, I was really excited to hear that it was going to be going back to brit and kind of um the merrick family 
And then when, when they offered, you know, me and my husband to be able to kind of be a part of buying into it and be a part of the journey, it was just incredibly honoring to be totally honest. I, I've, I've been with Channel Islands my whole life and, you know, obviously growing up in Santa Barbara, it's, uh, it's really cool to, to be a part of the journey moving forward. And I really just believe in them. So um, it's going to be fun. I think it's such an amazing opportunity. First, it is a feel good story. And like, as any fans of surfing, everybody loves Channel Islands and everybody loves all the athletes that have been involved with Channel Islands. And so it's a feel good story to see kind of a family take back ownership from, even though Burton is a great corporation, it's still family taking it back from the corporation. Um, It's something that, by the way, Kelly Slater wanted to do himself. So you've one up to Kelly Slater. (laughs) Maybe the only thing I'll ever one up Kelly Slater in. Um, but yeah, I think it's awesome. And I feel like Britt, when he, um, you know, kind of stepped back into shaping again and like became more a part of Channel Islands um, again, you know, four or five years ago now, it really felt like, okay, this should be back in the Merrick family's name and, and someone, you know, from the Merrick family kind of overseeing it and running it. And so I feel like it was just the right thing for Channel Islands. It was the right thing for, um, you know, Brit to do. And yeah, I mean, to be a part of it, like I said, it's just, a, it's an insane opportunity to have. I don't, I don't think I'll ever get, you know, a chance like this again in my uh, life or, or my career. I don't know if I will, but it's just really, it's really fun to be able to kind of plan for long-term um, things with them as well and projects and kind of, you know, help build up their junior team and, and work on board design and feel like I'm way more a part of it now because I am, it's like, okay, I really want this brand to succeed. How can we do that? And so I feel like since everything's happened too, I'm putting way more of my time and effort into helping build the brand to be the best that it can be, which is really fun. It's just something different, you know, from obviously <laughs> my day job. So uh, it's just cool to kind of be a part of that and, and um, use my brain in different ways. Perfect segue to the next question, actually. Are you starting to think about making these types of moves that'll set you up for after you retire from competitive surfing? And if so, is it a distraction from the main goal of winning a world title? Um, yeah, so I guess the first part to your question, the way to answer that would be yes. I think I am starting to think about um, moves I want to make for myself and you know things my husband and I want to kind of uh, step into or contribute to, um, you know, once I stop surfing. And, and so this with CI was just a, a no brainer, really, it felt really safe to do. Um, you know, I just feel like as, as a brand is not, not going anywhere. And so for me, I was like, oh, this makes too much sense. You know, I've obviously been a part of the brand forever. Um, it's my world, it's surfing, I know it. And, um, you know, I love it. And so I feel like, yeah, you know, we've done a few other things as well, but this is definitely the biggest um, involvement with a surf company uh, I've sort of stepped into with with ownership, but I certainly, my brain is more in that realm than it's ever been of like, okay, what does my future look like? What am I going to be doing? Where do I want to put my time? Um, But in terms of it distracting me from a world title, I would say no, not at all. Um, I feel like I can kind of pick or choose how much I want to be a part of things or not and um say with channel islands i mean sure i'm i'm more involved in it now and that might come with some extra emails or whatever but really 
they want me to win a world title more than anything. So they're not, it's not like they're pushing me too much to do things or whatever. And there's so many other people involved in it. It's not like, you know, I'm not CEO of the brand, but um, yeah. So I, I feel like everyone around me and things I'm maybe investing in or becoming more a part of that doesn't involve, you know, competitive surfing and my, my day-to-day work. Um, everything I do, people understand that my goal right now is still to win a world title and that takes priority over everything else. So I I just feel like I have really good people around me that understand that, you know, it couldn't be a better fit. I mean, whether it's a financial investment or just an investment of your time and resources, you would want everything to dovetail and prop each other up. And it really feels like this relationship services both goals you know, if yeah. it was just like a alcohol brand or energy drink brand, even, or something like that, it could be a distraction, but this feels like everything kind of is servicing the same goal. Totally. I think, I think you couldn't have really said it better. That's why when they brought us the opportunity, I was, you know, it was just a no brainer. It just yeah. feels, it feels as though surfing as a sport, we all know is growing astronomically, uh, especially with COVID. I think John's last year, the best year they've ever had on record. And this year's um, kind of trending in that exact same direction. And so I just, and, and I feel like more people are surfing, more people are watching surfing. It's becoming more of a international, um, main stage sport. And so I really feel like anything in hard, good surf. So leashes, fins, wax, and surfboards and wetsuits are just going to go up from here. I, I feel like that's the area of surf that really um, is going to continue to benefit. And I don't feel like is a scary move to make um, in right. terms of investing money or time or whatever, you know. In terms of winning a world title, who do you view as your biggest threat this year? Um, that's a good question. That's hard to pinpoint one person. I, I feel like um, Chris is always there. You know, <laughs> she's always scary and and so hard to compete against and just consistently really good uh I would probably say though Caroline is Marks is is the biggest person in my way to win a world title right now um she's just really insanely good at contest surfing she's obviously a great surfer but um I feel like her consistency is similar to kind of how Tyler Wright um competes they're both just great competitive surfers. They're really headstrong. Um, they have great, like they have the ability and they're just great at surfing heats and getting scores and being really uber consistent. And I feel like those are the hardest girls to beat. And when you find a girl like that, um, who's insanely consistent and good at, at surfing heats and also has a really good ability and their talent level is top four or five, that's when, they become pretty hard to to beat. So I feel like Caroline comes to mind first. I obviously surf with her a ton. We have the same coach. So we like train together all the time and we're really good friends actually. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for the challenge. I feel like, um, you know, I feel like I'm right there and I feel like I have uh, different strengths to her uh, that'll benefit me in different ways and, and at different locations that we go to. But um, yeah, I think she's going to be tough to beat. There, there's a couple girls though that, so we know that Caroline didn't make the chart the WSL charter flight because she tested positive for COVID-19. Do you expect yeah. to see her at Newcastle? 
I don't know. Um, we have these daily calls with the WSL at the moment, and um, I have no idea that they haven't really mentioned anything on that front with her. I, de I definitely, I definitely hope so. You know, I feel like the tour uh, isn't complete without every single girl there, whether they're super high in the rankings like her or further down. I, I feel like everyone should be there. And um, yeah, I, I really feel for Caroline. That's a gnarly situation to be in. So I don't know if she'll make it for Newcastle, but um, I hope so. I hope they can figure out a way to make it happen. I haven't heard from the WSL how the math is going to work this year. Do they count? Are they giving, like, do they count all the events um, considering that it's an abbreviated year or do you get two throwaway scores in an event? Um, yes. Yeah, so I think, I think they're still not sure exactly how many events we're going to have by the time that surf off comes It lowers. Um, obviously we have these four events now confirmed in, in Australia and we had the one event in Hawaii, um, you know, and I think they're aiming at least for the surf ranch and Tahiti and, and we'll see what happens with Brazil. I'm not sure, but I feel like, um, they don't actually know the amount of events we're going to have. So um, depending on how many we do end up having, whether that's seven, eight, nine, or 10, that will change how many throwaways we get. I don't know for sure. I think, I think if we have seven or eight, we only get one throwaway, but if we have nine or 10, then we get obviously the two throwaways. So, um, that will just depend on, on how many events we end up, you know, getting to run. Uh, Kelly Slater is another surfer who isn't going to Australia uh, due to injury, though, not because of COVID. And I saw that as kind of a missed opportunity, given that he's sitting in third place. Like this could have been his best shot at a 12th world title in recent years. Yeah. Um, do you view this abbreviated year as an opportunity to seize upon or does it feel more like a risk to your world title goal? Um, I feel like this year is all about mindset and adaptability. And I think I've thought about it a lot and I've talked to my husband about this a lot and my coach about this a lot. Like I feel as though this year could be an advantage to me and, and achieving, you know, my goal of winning world title. If I have the right headspace, I think it's going to come down to whoever can be um, just open-minded and positive and confident and willing to work with the changes. Cause we've already seen with Hawaii, what can happen and stuff is going to change and not go to plan and move and shift and mold. And so I feel like um, that's going to depend on each surfer of how they deal with that and what, what they do with the moving and changing and, you know, how they kind of balance those expectations um, and already going into it. Like we're in a 14 day quarantine right now in Australia and in our hotel rooms and everyone's going to handle this differently. Like how, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to think of it like, okay, how am I going to take advantage of these 14 days? What can I learn? How can I improve? You know, what can I kind of work on in different ways of my surfing um, to be better when I go compete? And so I'm trying to look at this year as an advantage for me and, and um, you know, put myself in the best position possible to be, like I said, just malleable and moldable to whatever happens, because I, I feel like it's going to be a changing year. It's going to be difficult, but it's just how you look at it and approach it. So what can you work on while you're locked up in the hotel room? <laughs> 14 days. Okay. Well, we're four days in. So, um, I've been watching a lot of footage though, a lot of kind of study and review. And then obviously with the two new events, having Newcastle, well, three Newcastle, um, Narrabeen and Rottnest, 
I've been trying to watch just, you know, QS heats from those places and um, get to know the wave a little bit. And then you can do a ton of just visualization and meditation and um, mindset work as hippie as that might sound. I think um, the, the power of the mind is pretty extraordinary. And, um, you know, I feel like I can kind of work on, yeah, just seeing myself do well and surf heats the way I want to and kind of um, come into it just really confident. What are you able to do physically? Physically, um, so we've got a small space here, <laughs> but we do have a, we got a spin bike. I've got a couple of kettlebells. I've got a TRX, some bands, um, fitness ball. So actually can do, I mean, considering we are in a hotel room, we've got everything we need to do a good amount of uh, work, workout wise. So, yeah. um, you know, I've been doing a ton of plyometrics. I can do cardio on the spin bike. Uh, yeah, I have my weight. So, I mean, obviously it's not ideal. I'm not in a gym, you know, but I can do quite a lot physically. I will say considering the circumstance. <laughs> do you, are the uh, Australian surfers already, are some of them already at Newcastle practicing? Yeah, I think, um, so most of the Aussies obviously came home right after Hawaii. They did their two week quarantine. They've been out and there's been a couple of events um, up in the Newcastle area, there was a QS the other day, uh, which was in Avoca, but then before that, I think there was one close to there, maybe it was an Airbnb. But yeah, I've been seeing a lot of them, um, you know, already practicing at Narrabeen, at Newcastle, um, kind of getting the lay of the land. So they do have a bit of a head start on all of us for sure. But yeah, uh, well, we have 10 days when we get out of here, we get out on the 22nd, and then the first event starts on the first. So Good. You know, hopefully that'll be enough time, but it's also going to be 10 days with the most frothed up surfers in the world. True. <laughs> I've been inside. True. Um, yeah. Back to the tour schedule for the rest of the year. If Chopu actually runs and it's like eight feet in pumping, uh, <laughs> do you view that as an opportunity or a risk? I view it as an opportunity. I think, um, I think Chopu, like I did a trip there, uh, the end of the summer the, in 2020. Um, and it was my first time there. I'd never been. And I felt like, okay, we're going to have this event. I, I better go before, you know, right. I'm in a yeah. heat all of a sudden just for the first time out there. And so it was really my first time experiencing the wave and the place. And obviously seeing it forever growing up on TV, I, I'm really intimidated by it. You see the waves uh, that come through there. You see the wipeouts that happen. You hear about it. Um, you know, it's like this kind of scary creature. It's like this, the, the fear of the unknown in a way. And then when I went and surfed it, um, you know, granted, I didn't surf it pumping eight foot psycho, but I did have a few bigger days for sure. And I had a few smaller days that were just turns. And I really got to see, I guess, more of the moods of, of Chofu and, and what you could get in the heat. It's not always super duper scary. Um, it can be really just perfect and, and so much fun. And, um, I guess getting back to your question though, of if it is eight foot and pumping, um, I'm so sorry about that. No, they don't. call us every day to check in on us. Don't even worry nurse. about it. You could even take it. If you need to. Um, so, okay. Do you want to take My it? My husband's going to take it. Sorry. You can cut this part out. My husband's on the phone now. Thank you. Okay. Sorry about that. Don't I'll even start worry back about up it. My question. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think going back to your question of if it is like eight foot proper pumping chopu, um, and if it's a risk or, um, 
you know, benefit to me or not. I, I think overall it is. I feel like I've been there. I, I, had, I did get a ton of confidence from the trip I took and everyone's sort of, I mean, every girl's in that same boat. If it's big, everyone's going to be scared. Um, but I feel like it's really uh, time for the girls to go to Choku. I feel like we're absolutely capable of doing it. And, and I think that if it's the right conditions, it will, it will make women surfing look look awesome and show people what we can do. And I think we'll surprise people. The, the scary part to me of that event is if it's super unruly, super tricky, super big, um, and just hard conditions, that's when I think things could potentially go wrong um, or not look the best for the women. But I, you know, I feel like with an, enough time out there uh, and a long enough waiting period, hopefully we'll get the right conditions for the girls. And, and for me personally, Yes, I feel great about it. I think, um, you know, I'm excited to go back. I feel confident out there. and I think it's going to be great. On the trip that you took, did you get any like real proper waves? <laughs> You'll have to watch. You, you tell me. I don't know. But I got a couple just good waves, I would say. I didn't, I mean, again, I'm not going to claim I was out there when it was huge. I paddled out a few days and didn't catch waves when it was really big, but um, didn't get much. But I definitely had a couple waves that I was really personally happy on. Um, I felt like it was progress. I think backside barrel riding for me in general, and I would say most girls on tour is um, a bit more of a foreign thing for us. We don't get to do it all the time because we've really never had to. Uh, there's never been a wave really like Choku on the schedule for us, except for, you know, we had Fiji a few years, but that was about it. And so, um, yeah, I think I was I was really happy with my performance. I think it was the first step in the right direction. I'd love to go back um, before the event if possible. We'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah, I definitely had a few waves. I was I was really stoked on. Did you po post that footage somewhere? I don't remember seeing it. They're on. Yeah, it's on my Instagram, and then we did like a little edit uh, we released with Surfline. Um, oh, okay. This was back in when was this? This was in like. October time. So it was a little gotcha. while back, but um, I'll find it. Yeah. I'll but find yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. I can send you it, but it's again, it's, it's nothing like crazy, crazy, but definitely um, I think a step in the right direction for me and, and for women surfing. A hundred percent. And I mean, honestly, there's no replacement for time in the water, especially at a spot like that. So, yeah, you know, the question, the obvious question is how do you prepare for chopu or pipe or whatever and the answer is you just spend time in the water there so you wouldn't be expected yeah. to get crazy waves on your first trip but yeah just getting out there getting comfortable with it i think would be the solution um yeah did you do any preparation for sunset i know the event didn't run but yeah you thought it was going to run did you right. uh spend any time out there yeah so we um obviously we had honolua which was before christmas and then um, we went back home to California over Christmas and the plan was to be in the North shore kind of a month before sunset was supposed to start. Um, and so we went back right after Christmas to the North shore. I think it was like December 28th or so. And we, I mean, I surfed sunset every single day until they said they were canceling oh, the okay. event. Um, just because that wave is, um, just there's so many moods to it. It's crazy. It's like up the point, down the point, West Bulls, always windy, like tide affects it kind of a lot. Um, 
your boards out there really need to be spot on. I feel like it's similar to Margaret River in that way. Like you need to feel solid on your equipment because you have to ride a bigger board out there. You really can't get it away with a smaller board. Um, but obviously then you got to be able to turn it. And so there's always that kind of catch 22 of how, how long do you go to catch waves and feel comfortable in the lineup, but then what can you still turn on? Um, so I felt like going into that event before they canceled it, I was trying to be super overly prepared. I mean, I was surfing at like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> I was like three times a day, really trying to um, put my time in and it was cool. You know, the whole tour was over there surfing at a ton, obviously, um, thinking we were going to have the event out there. And so it was really nice to be able to surf with all the guys just because they've had the event um, for the Triple Crown out there for so long. And so they really know know the lineup and surf the wave so well. And so I felt like even just being out there with the boys and, um, you know, just asking them some questions when I was out there and, and watching them was really helpful as well, just visually to, to kind of see how they approached it was great. Um, and, and super helpful just for the future. I feel like that wave is, if you can surf Sunset Beach really well, you can surf a lot of waves really yeah. well. Yeah, I, I'm really thrilled to see it added to the tour. I think it adds a really uh, much needed dynamic that was kind of missing from all the other spots mm. on tour. Um, and that's something for the women's tour too, that I feel like for a number of years, a lot of the style of waves across the tour were similar. And yeah. so I felt like you could kind of ride the same couple of boards throughout most events. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel yeah. like now that's a huge difference is you need a certain type of board for Chopu. You certainly need a different board for sunset and then you need a high performance quiver. And is that something that's been a challenge to kind of sort through? You totally. I think, um, you know, especially on the woman's side, like exactly what you said, we've really had events that are all super similar. You know, our probably one standout event was Margaret River where you might need some different equipment or a longer board. And, and then everything else is a right point break for the most part right? Um, yeah. in the past. And so, and the guys at least have had kind of, they've had pipe, they've had chokes, um, you know, so they've had a little bit more of of um, just variety to have their boards figured out and all that. And so you're absolutely correct in the, in the sense that this is kind of new territory for all the girls. Going to Chopu, um, you know, Chan just released a board called the Happy Traveler. And so Britt shaped me a few of those. Uh, this was more in the early stages, obviously the board wasn't done yet, but um, it was awesome to kind of get a totally different type of board. I've never had a board like that before where it's, it's pretty much strictly for tube riding. You can do turns on it, but really it's, it's paddle power and you stand up and you go really fast and, and you go straight. And so um, it was really fun to, like I said, just try a board like that and, and feel like, oh my gosh, this does make such a difference in a wave like Chopu. I, I tried my regular board a couple of times and it just was not working. I couldn't get into the waves. I couldn't paddle fast enough. I'd get swallowed. Um, and then I got on that board, the Happy Traveler, that was sort of more foam forward, a, a more volume overall, um, super pulled in tail, a little bit wider for the forward. And so I could paddle in really fast and with a ton of speed and it made all the difference um, for just making waves out there. And so, um, so yeah, I feel like equipment plays a huge role in, in this year's tour with, with Chopu. And then obviously we didn't have Sunset, but Margaret River, you definitely need um, some different equipment. I like to ride a little bit more of a heavier board out there because there's always wind. Um, 
And then obviously your stock standard kind of shortboards for uh, the beach breaks we're going to be in, the point breaks that we have on tour. So yeah, I think equipment is huge. I think knowing your equipment, knowing your shaper, knowing what you're riding is a really big deal. And I've, I've learned that more the last couple of years, especially since working with Britt. Um, you know, he's really opened my eyes to what different shapes and nuances on the board can do. It's interesting when you look at kind of the top five, uh, the difference between who's won multiple world titles and who just kind of hasn't broken through, you can almost attribute to Mm long-term relationships with the shaper. Kelly obviously worked with Al for 25 years, Uh, Carissa and Biolis, Steph and DHD, John John and Pizel, Gabriel and Johnny Cabianca, like it's people who are jumping around all the time. It's almost like there's a certain level of refinement that only comes after a decade of working together. And that's the (laughs) difference between spot number three, four, two, and one, you know? And so I think that actually bodes well for you in terms of being with Channel Islands for um, such a long time and kind of now being faced with new venues on tour where you need a, a board. Yeah, that's a great point. I've never, I've never thought about that before. Um, but that, that totally makes sense. I, I think, um, I think a lot of that comes down to just being able to trust your board and trust your shaper. It's like totally. one less thing to think about when you're competing. And so I, I, I like, I like that you said that actually, because that can give you, I mean, it gives me a lot of confidence, um, in working with Chill for so long. And then, you know, Brit kind of the last four years really, um, but yeah, I, I feel like with surfing as a sport in particular, there's so many things that are out of your control on contest day. Like you have a judging panel, number one, and then you have the ocean and wind and all these things that you have zero control over. And so I always approach competing like, okay, what do I have in my control? So I can just tick off that box and not have to think about it and worry about it. And so when it comes to surfboards, and having a really good relationship with your shaper um, or the brand that you work with that, like I said, it's just, if you can trust your board and your equipment and, and who you're working with, that takes out such a huge chunk of like, Oh my God, am I on the right board? Am I on the right equipment? Did they do something weird or whatever? And I think, I think that just adds another layer then, uh, you know, to your confidence as a competitor, if you can be like, yeah, I'm on the best equipment for me. I know it's perfect. I know my shirt knows it's perfect. Like that's just one more thing you can check off. Um, you know, it's a bit more money in the bank. And so I think that's hugely important and, and probably like you said, why a lot of world champions uh, have been with their shapers for a really long time. Who do you trust with your, your coaching and how long have you been in that relationship? Yeah. So I've worked with um, Mike Parsons for, wow. <laughs> like, nine years now eight years so pretty much my whole life on tour I've worked with him and um I trust him so much I think our relationship is like it's awesome I'm such good friends with like him and his wife and his family that there's no egos if I'm trying to tell him something or if he's trying to tell me something or or be kind of critical it's there's yeah, there, there's just no egos. So I think we both can approach competing and surfing and getting better with like this open-mindedness that we're both trying to make me the best surfer 
that I can be. And, um, and we just have so much fun with it too. And so, yeah, it's been amazing to work with Mike. I, I really wouldn't be, you know, where I am without him for sure from a coaching perspective. And I've worked with him for so long that, you know, again, it goes back to what we were just talking about, even with the boards. It's like, I really trust him with the information that he's giving me. Um, and I know he's, he respects the feedback that I might give him or disagree with or whatever. And so um, it's just this really great um, kind of relationship and, and conversation that we can have before events or before my heats um, to feel like we're both really on the same page, you know? I do kind of, I would also like though, for you to explain a little further about like, what exactly does a coach do in surfing? I mean, it, it seems like in some situations, it seems yeah. like the athlete is actually more uh, as maybe has a better professional track record than the coach even does. So what exactly does Parsons provide for you? That's a great question because I feel like every surfer in this sport, in surfing, needs something different from their coach or whoever they're working with. Because I, I feel like some surfers might really need help with their technique and focusing on that. Some surfers might really need help on contest day and where to sit and what is the ocean doing. Um, some surfers might really just need to work on heat strategy and how to surf in heat and, you know, whatever, when to pull the trigger, when to go in the right ways. And so I feel like um, that comes with time of working with a coach and figuring out, okay, what do I, like you really need to work on? What are my weaknesses and where can Mike most help me? And I, I think with him um, specifically, because he was contest director for so long of a lot of events when he used to work for Billabong. So he contest directed um, Tahiti and, and uh, J-Bay for years. Um, I think maybe Pipe. And so he knows, I feel like Mike's most valuable thing for me is just his ability to, to read the ocean and kind of help me before a heat with like, okay, the tide is dropping. This is exactly what this venue is going to do. The waves are gonna shift from here to here. Um, you know, this little bank over here, keep an eye on that. Kind of exactly what is going on in the lineup. And half of that's also obviously my job as the surfer to know what I'm doing when I go out there. I don't, I don't want to just go out relying completely on his perspective. I need to be kind of in agreement with him. And so I feel like Mike is this, this guy that comes in and says, okay, are you seeing what I'm seeing here? Like, do you see this part of the wave that's doing this? Or, you know, did you see the score he got for, or she got for doing that one big turn versus three small turns? Like it's pretty much just a conversation and he is kind of, um, either saying, yep, you're on the right page with that, or, oh, maybe think about this. And so I think that that just instills the confidence in me to go like, okay, Mike thinks the same thing that I do. I'm on the right page. That's the game plan. Okay, boom, we can go achieve it. And um, so I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I tried to explain it the best I could there. No, it um, So it yeah, makes for me, sense. that's where I find the most value in a coach. Gotcha. Yeah, cool. A couple of wrap-up questions. How did you spend 2020? All things considered, I had a great year in 2020. Um, we were, my husband's from Australia. And so we were in Australia kind of before the whole pandemic started um, in February. And then when everything got canceled and, and things started shutting down, um, sort of in the March timeline of things, uh, we just decided to stay in Australia because it felt like it might be a better place to be. Um, 
for that the time being. And so I spent half the year in Australia and in, in Bells Beach area where he's from, which was really, really awesome. We got great waves. Um, it's kind of just quiet down there. And obviously it's a venue on tour. And so I got to surf there a ton. Um, but it was just nice. It was nice to have some time off. I felt like after the 2019 season, I needed a little bit more time um, to kind of just stop and reflect and uh, move forward from everything. So yeah, I spent half the year in Australia. And then um, in August, I came home and just was in California, surf lowers a ton and uh, just tried to work on my surfing and have yeah. the chance to actually work on like new board design, new boards, work with Brit, um, work with Mike. And yeah, it was the first time in probably 12 years I've had that much time to work on just my surfing and just my equipment. And so I tried to, to really take advantage of that, which, which was nice. It was really nice to have that time. You have two weeks out of the water. Have you ever spent two weeks out of the water, uh, without, (laughs) without being injured? I don't think so. I was just talking to my husband about that the other day. I was like, holy smokes. I mean, I have had little like injuries here and there and back stuff that kept me out for a while, but yeah, never willingly have I spent two weeks out of the water, but, um, yeah. So I guess I'm just trying to enjoy, I I wish I could go surfing today. Don't get me wrong, but I guess I'm just trying to enjoy, uh, yeah, the time off and, and do other stuff with my time that I don't normally get the chance to. I know. So that's the final question is what is your daily routine in quarantine? What are you actually doing? (laughs) i got my schedule right here. You want me to read it out to you? Yes, I I do. I write a schedule every morning. (laughs) This was, this was yesterday. You get up. Okay. Meditation is the first part. Then I journal. Then breakfast is at 9am. And then I yoga and foam roll from 1045 to or sorry from 945 to 1045 uh we have a a call every day at 1130 with wsl then i train after lunch from 130 to 3 and then i have free time whether that's watch a show or i brought some watercolors so i've been watercoloring and then i cook dinner at six o'clock and then watch a movie and go to bed so that's Amazing. my schedule. <laughs> I think that's a s- recipe for success. I like the I fact know. that you're staying so active and structured. That'll help the time fly by. I think so. I think the structure is the key to this whole thing. So I have stuff to do every hour. So tell me uh, real quickly, what type of meditation are you doing? Um, I've done meditation for a little while. So I've gotten uh, kind of I've tried to answer your question a few different types. I've had a few sports psychologists like record some guided meditations specifically for me. Um, So I I kind of have done a lot, but at the moment I'm actually just doing, um, there's a app it's called 10% happier. There's also a book by Dan Harris. And um, it's, it's got awesome meditations on there. I know that there's like another app called headspace, um, which is good, but the 10% happier app is really like I'm really impressed with the guided meditations that they have. Um, they have like the best people in the world and you can choose all sorts of different stuff that you want to focus on or learn about. Um, and so, yeah, I've just been using that app for guided meditations every day, which has been, it's been great. So is it 10 minutes or something in the morning and you just listen to it with your eyes closed or are you in a seated position or? Yeah, it's um, the one I'm doing is like 15 to 20 minutes 
depending on the one like every day but yes I do it every morning and I just sit in a seat I sit on the balcony I put my noise cancelers on and then um I'm doing one right now on on focus is like the theme of it and so yes the lady just guides you through gently um the whole time of how to refocus your mind on whatever the thing is whether that's your breath or whatever feeling a sensation in your your fingers or your hands um or your rib cage or whatever like you're just the point is to focus on that one thing and keep coming back to it because your brain will obviously get distracted but just keep coming back to it over and over and over again and so um yeah i found it really helpful in my life so i enjoy it what uh what benefit do you see from it okay a few i would say um like in my personal life I, I, my husband tells me I'm a lot more patient. <laughs> so take it from him. Um, and just more calm and like, I think, okay with negativity or things that happen, I'm able to sort of process it a lot better. Uh, instead of being more reactive, I'm a little bit like, okay, let me just analyze the situation and not freak out or whatever it is. Um, so I feel like that, that side of things, it's really helpful. Um, and then in terms of my surfing, I feel like com competitive wise, it just settles my mind. So, cause I feel like before you paddle out, obviously I'm always nervous. There's always distractions. There's always stuff, but, um, it's really helped me to just like cut all of that out, especially right before a heat or as I'm paddling out for a heat, like it's given me the ability to yeah, just focus on one thing at a time and whatever the task is at that moment in, in that heat or when I'm surfing. And, um, and so I think that's been really cool. It's just, it's, it's helped me settle, settle the mind a little bit when, when I'm in a heat or I'm nervous or whatever. Good. Glad to hear yeah. that. I'm, I'm asking for personal reasons just because it's something that's been interesting to me for a very long time. And I've dabbled with a few different yeah. types and I was using an app called Calm for a little while. Yeah. But I've never yeah, fully, exactly. I've, I've never committed with the level of discipline that I think I would really benefit from. Yeah. But everybody, it's a common denominator among a lot of people that I really, really respect and certainly high level athletes, but you know, up to Jerry Seinfeld said in some interview, yeah. he's like, Oh, I've been med I've been doing TM for mm -hmm. 30 years now. It's like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> everybody who I love does this thing, I should probably start doing it. You know? Yeah, it's great. I really, I think too, the, the thing with it is don't be too hard on yourself. Cause I feel like people expect, I mean, yes, to do it consistently is hard. And every time, you know, you fall off the track every now and again, I won't do it for a little while, but um, I feel like if you can be consistent and, and just like be open-minded with it and not be too gnarly, if you miss a day or whatever, um, it's okay. But yeah, I, I found it really helpful in multiple areas of my life. Check out the 10% um, Happier app. It, honestly, you might really like it. Okay, I will. I need a new one, so I'll do that. Yeah. Um, I appreciate yeah. you taking time out of that very full schedule that you maintain every day to do this. And uh, <laughs> people will be psyched to hear from you and um, we'll be watching in Newcastle. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And um, yeah, I will see you guys soon. All right. Thanks so much.
Hope that you enjoyed that. For the record, the WSL's CT events that are still listed on the schedule after Australia are the OI Rio Pro in June, the Corona Open J Bay in June through July, the Surf Ranch Pro and the Outer Known Tahiti Pro in August, and then the WSL Finals at Lowers in September. Everything, of course, is subject to change, but if everything runs, that would be nine regular season events and then a 10th finals event. And of course, we've got more of these quarantine chats lined up through next week. So look forward to those. I've got a new surfboard review in the works uh, that'll go out in the beginning of April, hopefully, and a much more in-depth, ongoing series of conversations with Brad Gerlach revolving around my goal to surf better at 40 than I did at 20, which I'll reveal more about soon. Uh, I posted an episode of Spit with Scott Bass earlier this week, so go grab that. And then I will be reconvening with Chaz Smith tomorrow to tell him how everyone prefers his wife over him, which I'm sure he's already well aware of. So make sure to listen to The Grit tomorrow. Lots of stuff going on here. And also, please consider subscribing for $5 a month to support our work. Click subscribe in your show notes. It's in all caps and it hyperlinks over to our website. You can go directly there if you want and just click support the show. That is on surfsplendorpodcast.com. The quality and frequency of these shows is directly related to your monthly recurring support. So we want to be able to devote all of our time to these conversations and your support enables that. So thank you. Until uh, tomorrow, maybe for the next in these quarantine series of chats, this is, of course, David Scales for Surf Splendor, reminding you to get back into the ocean, share some waves, and shred on.